Hey everyone and welcome back to episode 2 of Sustainable Chats. Really hoping that you had a listen to our first episode and if not, do pause this one and go listen to the State of Education with Spumelele. In this conversation, however, I am speaking to Paola. She is an amazing founder of a brand um, straight out of Malawi, Miyamiko. And it is a responsible women's wear and lifestyle brand that everyone should be talking about. They've gone on to win accolades upon accolades as they are an ethically sourced and sustainably driven brand um, in the fashion space. I think this conversation was so pivotal for us to have, for us to understand the business of fashion. Not only is Mayamiko producing amazing garments for women, they are also putting women at the center of their social enterprise and uplifting the local community by sourcing their fabrics um, locally, as well as sewing back into the communities in which this brand thrives on. Super excited for this conversation. Have a listen and stay tuned. Hi everyone, I'm Natasha and welcome to Sustainable Chats, a podcast extension of Yew's Handmade. If you are passionate about Africa and all things sustainability, then this platform is for you. I will be chatting to small business owners, individuals, and business leaders that are making a big impact across the African countries in many and different ways, contributing to the sustainable development goals. Join me as they share their stories of success and passions. And maybe we could learn a thing or two on how we too can contribute to Africa's beauty. Welcome everyone to another episode of Sustainable Chats with Natasha. Um, Today I am super, super excited to be speaking to my guest, Paola Masbury. She is not only an exciting entrepreneur in the fashion space, but she is also the founder of an award-winning um, fashion brand that counts the Meghan Markle amongst its fans. Welcome to Sustainable Chats, Paula. Thank you, Natasha, for having me. It's exciting to be here. Yeah, I'm super, super excited to be having this conversation with you. I know we've planned this since last year um, and it's only coming to fruition now. So I am very, very happy to be sitting and having this conversation with you today. Same here. It's really, really nice so to be talking just... to you. Oh, awesome. So just to get started, before we go, we get into the brand, what the brand is, Just give us a little introduction into who you are, um, you know, your childhood growing up, uh, knowing very well that, you know, you are also Italian. So, you know, the journey of you growing up as a child in Italy until, you know, you be uh, where we are today. Yeah, definitely. So as you say, um, I grew up in Italy. So I was born in Milan and I spent up until sort of the age of um, about 20 in in Italy. Um, 
And I, I suppose fashion was always kind of part of life as you know you would imagine it would be in a place like uh, like Italy or Milan so you know um you know the clothes that we were wear always um have been very important for us in terms of sort of telling our story and you know the things that you wear on a Sunday or the things that you wear on sort of special occasions so there's always been an interest in fashion but um I guess I never really considered it as a profession until much later. Um, but uh, both my grandparents were tailors and I spent a lot of time sort of, um, especially watching my grandmother, um, you know, fixing hand-me-downs or clothes from my bigger sister or my cousins um, and being adjusted for me. Or, you know, if there was a little bit of extra fabric, she would um, sew dresses for my dolls. So um, I sort of been lucky enough to you know, sort of grasp next to, you know, creative people that were using clothes and fashion in a way that is, you know, I realize now similar to how I view fashion now. So, you know, kind of with longevity and with storytelling and with creativity to transform pieces that we love into something else, you know, as time goes by. Um, and then when I was uh, 20, I moved to the UK. Uh, I live in London now, but I spent uh, several years in Malawi, where my Amico started first as a charity and then as a brand. I also lived in Germany for a couple of years. Um, and then I worked on and off in a number of other countries, including, um, you know, some stints in Sri Lanka, in Ethiopia, in Kenya, in Uganda. Um, yeah, so sort of quite, quite, quite sort of been lucky enough to have quite an international life. Um, obviously, until COVID came, and then you know it was very, very much, um, very much in one place. Tell me, tell me about it. Like COVID really grounded everyone, and if you didn't like your space, you really had to think about making changes, right? But as you left Italy when you were twenty, and then you lived in all these countries, and tell us what were you doing at the time in terms of like your career or the background? Um, so, yeah, so when I first um, left Italy for the UK, um, I was very, sort of very young, so I, I was in my last year of uni, so I didn't really have much of a career. And actually, at the time for me, I suppose what I wanted to get out of the, of the experience was, you know, just live overseas, experience a vibrant international city like London, and really just improve my English. That was kind of all I had in mind. But things then turned out very different. So I got my first job in a, for a software, a digital company that did educational software. Um, and that's the company that then took me for the first time to Africa. And this is because at the time we had a project um, based on the Millennium Development Goals, which then became Sustainable Development Goals. Um, and we were working with uh, the Ministry of Education in Malawi, in Uganda, and a couple of other countries to um, essentially deploy the software that we had designed um, in rural schools. So that was really kind of, you know, the first time where I um, traveled to Africa. So that was, I think, 2004 at mm. the time. Um, and I think that experience really shaped the rest of my life. First of all, because I fell in love with the continent. And in some ways, it had so many 
similarities with sort of my Italian upbringing, you know, the very strong sense of family, the big families, you know, kind of lots of importance around, um, you know, having meals together, living intergenerationally with grandparents and parents. So, you know, I found like culturally for me, um, it felt like being home because I recognized so many things in common. Um, and, And I think that was kind of quite different from, the time that I'd spent in the UK. So there was definitely a lot of um, sort of something that resonated with me at a deeper level, kind Mm. of at the soul and heart level. Um, But also that's where I forged those relationships and those friendships that then gave birth to the idea of the Miami Trust and Miami Co. So uh, those were quite important years for me. Um, Yeah. So that's really what I was busy doing at the time. Very interesting. So, 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 Walk us through the journey of then transitioning, I guess, you know, from the digital education space and into fashion and, you know, the journey of actually starting up the Mayamiko brand. Yeah. So, as I say, um, I was spending quite a bit of time in um, mostly Malawi um, at the time and um just through friendships and relationships that I developed um, with, um, you know, uh, what had become friends for me in in Malawi, we sort of started discussing, you know, what could we do and how could we support women? And in particular, there was a lady who at the time was the uh, the Ministry of Education in Malawi and then transitioned to the Ministry of uh, um, Women and Child Development. And, and, And we really bonded and we sort of started uh, conceptualizing what could we do to support uh, women, and and I, I think from those conversations, it's that's where the idea of the Miami Co Trust came from. So um, we set up this uh, non for profit, um, and the purpose was to give women choices and opportunities. And so the first thing that we did was essentially asking women what they needed so we didn't go in with a preconceived idea of what they felt what we felt they needed but we just literally went out and said in sort of in the constituency that we were based in we just said what it is that you need what would what would make your life um better what would improve you know your family circumstances and and you know one of the themes that kept coming up was that women wanted to learn a skill that was marketable and that would help them earn an income in a flexible way. And then, uh, you know, time and time again, tailoring and sewing was the skill that they asked us to be trained on. And so we just listened, really. That was kind of all, you know, coming from the the women that we spoke with um, and set up a, uh, a training centre for tailoring and sewing and started providing training for, um, for women in that discipline. And... And then we partner with Tiveta, which is a um, vocational skills training organization um, that is active in Malawi and other Southern African countries to provide a form of qualification that women could receive at the end of the training. And really, I think we thought that that's where it would end. What we hadn't realized was that, was that after graduating, um, women wanted more so you know some of them were happy to go back to the village and set up their own um, business some of them got together creating cooperatives or working groups but actually quite a lot of uh, women were asking to stay together and work together almost as a mini factory as a mini 
production unit. And so we thought, okay, that sounds like a really good idea. And in a way that allowed us to continue improving the quality of the work that they were doing and sort of focusing on uh, quality control and, um, you know, meeting certain standards of production. And I think from that, slowly came the idea that maybe this was something that we could monetize so that, you know, if we were able to sell products that we made at the um, fashion lab, as we then, you know, called it, um, we could use we use that money to fund uh, charitable work. And so we wouldn't be dependent on donations, but we would raise our funds um, you know, essentially by selling the products that we had trained um, you know, our, our students to, to make. And so that was quite a nice, um, you know, holistic way of looking at things because not only we were providing training, but then we were also providing sustainable employment opportunities. And any profits made through that work was then reinvested in the charity. I absolutely... So that's sort of really how... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was about to say that I absolutely love, you know the growth from the trust into a self-sustaining business model, you know? Um, and I think, you know, the primary reason why this podcast exists is because we are passionate about, you know, sustainability across all the SDGs, you know, the Sustainable Development Goals. And, you know, through what you've been saying, not only are you impacting the lives of women, but, you know, you are creating sustainable employment opportunities and you're touching on a lot more goals, um, you know, out of the 17 as opposed to just one. And I think that's such an amazing journey that you've been on. So today um, you are now, uh, you know, selling for profit and the fashion is amazing. I would encourage everyone to go to your site, do some shopping as well. I love the clothes. They look so, so amazing and also super comfortable. So talk us through the journey of when you officially started, um, you know, essentially selling it for, for profit so that you can sustain the entire model. Yes, sure. So it was actually quite a long journey so if you think about this we started the trust in 2008 and we only start we only launched our Miami Co brand properly in 2015 um but you know all good things take time and effort and so you know th this wasn't mm -hmm. a, a, a sort of quick overnight thing so um Essentially, what happened was once we realized that the quality of our production was good enough, um, we didn't have the design capability in ours, you know, because I had a sense of design, but I wasn't trained as a designer. So we thought that the way to commercial sustainability was to partner with uh, other designers. So, you know, we would uh, act as a production workshop or CMT, cut, make and trim, as it's known in the, in the fashion industry. So, you know, we would um, be commissioned by designers to create their creations and we would essentially source the fabric and um, cut and sew and then um, um, you know ship the finished products to the designers. So this worked um, a little bit, but it actually had a lot of challenges. And the main reason that was difficult was because um, 
we often were not able to find all the different types of materials that designers needed to make their vision come alive. So it was actually a really, really helpful experience and really exciting. And it was so interesting to work with designers. But we realized quite quickly that commercially, it wasn't the right way for us to sustainability. Um, so we, but we took all the learning from that experience. And then we thought actually, what we need is to have more control over the type of products that we produce and over the materials that we select. And so we thought that the answer to that question was to create our own brand. Um, but in order to do that, we needed to first test the, the process. You know, could we actually make it work? Could we make products in Malawi? Um, could we ship them all over the world? Could we, uh, you know, create a website that attracted customers that wanted to order? Um, so, you know, we had to test all of that process. So the way we did it is in 2013, we launched a very simple website with, I think, probably about, 10 products, you know, a very small amount. And they were very simple products. So they were, you know, laptop sleeves, um, little clutch mm. bags, little head scarves. So, you know, very, very simple products. But the whole idea was to kind of test the whole process. You know, does it work? Do people buy? Um, you know, and once they buy, do people love mm. the product and all of that? And so we started like that. And it actually worked. We were very very surprised and happy to see that people had an interest and they, you know, wanted to find out more about Mayamiko and um, buy from us and support our vision. Um, and so that encouraged us to then develop a collection, um, a very small collection in 2015. So it was only a capsule again. I think we had maybe seven styles and we did them across three prints. So it really wasn't a big, a big collection, but, but it was our first kind of, you know, attempt at sort of selling fashion as opposed to accessories. And again, you know, that that went really well. And so we, you know, have been iterating on that model since then. We've been refining, we've been learning from the experience, you know, we've been working on shapes, design, composition of the collection, mm. um, variety of materials. So, you know, every year we we improve. Um but you know, it's been it's been quite quite a long and holistic journey, I have to say, and a collaboration between all of the team members. So everyone in Malawi, everyone in the UK, and then all the other artists and partners that we work with around the world. Yeah, and you know, I, I was going through obviously, you know, the business profile on the website, and you know, you and I had had a prior conversation to us recording here. And you've gone on, you know, through this journey where you had to almost like collapse the initial model, take the learnings and bring everything in-house, so to speak, um, creating a more tighter yeah. uh, ship, you know, a model to run off rather. You then went on to get fans like Meghan Markle. Can you tell us a little bit about the accolades and the awards that you've you've subsequently received as a result of running, you know, your business and maybe touching a little bit more on the aspect of sustainability within the industry and why that's very important to the foundation of the brand. Yeah, sure. So to answer the first part of the question, um, when we lo launched our first collection, we uh, applied for 
I think at the time they were called the, the Vogue Eco Talent Awards. So, you know, it was a competition um, for brands that were trying to work more sustainably. And then it was sponsored by Vogue. Um, and there was a big sort of um, celebration at, uh, in Dubai at the Dubai Mall. So it was a, sort of a big thing for a tiny uh, brand like ours. So we didn't win, but we were one of the finalists, which was actually really great because then it gave us coverage from Vogue um, and it sort of made us more visible. And then, so, so so obviously that was really helpful in terms of getting the brand a little bit better known. Um, and then um, we were awarded um, sustainability leadership by Common Objective twice in 2019 and in 2022. So this is a an industry body um, with a judging panel that includes the likes of, um, um, you know, um, Vogue, GQ, Stella McCartney, um, you know, like lots of um, uh, Vivian Westwood, lots of high profile names. Um, and twice we were selected as a leader, leader in sustainability. Um, and then there's, there's been others, but I think this one is particularly important because for us, it meant that, you know, the judging panel could see beyond size because we're still quite a small brand. I mean, very small, in fact, compared to many others. But it, it was good that they were able to see past the size and actually appreciate our approach to fashion, which, as you say, really combines um, design and social justice and environmental responsibility. So um, I think these are for us the three core pillars that constitute the brand. I say, and you know, there's no real order because they're all equally important. So I say design because obviously we need to create products that are desirable, that people will want to, um, you know, essentially fall in love with and keep for a very long time and treasure them. Um, the other one is social re- um, responsibility, which is that we want to make sure that everyone that is involved in the process of making our products actually benefits and comes out better off for having worked um, on a Miami Eco product. Um, and then sustainable um, environmental uh, responsibility, because actually we don't think, and this is our sort of my personal view and our view as a brand, we don't think that you can separate social and environmental justice. So those two really, really go hand in hand. Um, and so from the very beginning, we've tried to act in a, you know, as responsibly as possible towards the environment and not just to limit the negative impact, but wherever possible also to leave uh, a more positive impact. And so, you know, we haven't got it all right. We're still working on lots of things, but we sort of looked at all the touch points, um, you know, in making a garment from the fabric to the, you know, the dyes to, um, you know, the cutting, the sewing, the packaging, and bit by bit, we've tried to make sure that uh, we address each step um, and make it a little better every time. And so, you know, it doesn't all happen overnight, mm-hmm. but it's it's really core to the way that we do fashion. Yeah. And, and you know, so some of the challenges that, you know, use handmade, um, the, the candle brand, you know, that came before the podcast is that, you know, especially like, when you are trying, I guess, to run a more eco-conscious, more sustainable brand um, in in the African context, I find is that there is still a long road ahead, um, one that needs to first be paved by education to the community 
on what it is that sustainability is because I mm. think a lot of times people just focus on the one pillar which is you know sometimes environmental and forgetting the rest of it that actually comes together you know um, which is why we have the 17 SDG goals but I think you know the the challenges that we face as a home fragrance brand um, is just there are certain points in the value chain, I guess, that you can impact and try to be more sustainable. And as a small business, you know, being sustainable is quite expensive, but, you know, it's the small, tiny impacts and changes that you can make in the value chain um, to the road to one day being this powerhouse of sustainability. Can you talk us maybe through some of the challenges that you face, um, you know, within the movement, you know, and trying to be a brand that is a, a, a leader of sustainability within the fashion space itself? Because uh, I think there's a lot of talk about, you know, organizations that greenwash, you know, and all of those things. But tell us some of the challenges mm. and how, you know, as a brand, you overcome them as you move into more sustainable focused arenas? Yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. There's definitely a lot of greenwashing around and actually these are quite complex topics. Um, and, you know, I think sometimes as brands, we tend to over communicate and try and share absolutely everything that we do. And while that's great, uh, the consumer can get a little bit confused about, you know, what do certain words mean and, um, you know, this is, is sustainable the, the same as, uh, you know, net zero or carbon neutral or, you know, so I think it's definitely a complex um, area and, um, and you know, sometimes, yeah, it's, it's not possible to simplify these complex concepts. I think from our point of view, um, you know, we've always been clear that this is a journey um, we've always been clear that just because we exist and make products, we are having an environmental impact. But the reason that we decide to make products is because we think that um, that's balanced by, A, the way that we make products and, you know, the type of products that we make that are made to last, they're made to have longevity, they're made to be treasured for a long time, as well as the social impact on the communities that we work in. So I think the important thing is because the supply chain um, is so fragmented, you need to really bring it all together and have an overview of all of the impact points, you know, on people, on the planet. Um, and then what we do is we lay all of these, if you like, the life cycle of our products out and the impacts on people and planet. And then we start working at them one at a time. Because I think especially if you're a small brand and you don't have a huge amount of money, it can get quite overwhelming. Um, and you can feel slightly defeated and think that it's actually impossible to address absolutely everything. And I, I know a lot of great brands that feel, you know, that have put themselves under huge amount of pressures mm -hmm. to try and, you know, address everything. But it's, it's very difficult. Um, and I think that the truth is that if you're honest in your communication with your shoppers and your community mm. and if you share your journey and the things that you're improving bit by bit you know they come on that journey with you and they want to support you on that journey um and and I think you know you also need to figure out which are the things that you can address on mm. your own 
or which are the things that you need to create community around. And just to give you a simple example, so let's take um, packaging. So packaging for us was something that we could address um, fairly uh, simply compared to other options. So, you know, we knew that we didn't want any plastic in our packaging. So we went out there and we discovered some great companies that pro- produce fully biodegradable packaging options. So, you know, we did our research and we tried some out and we tested them. And then we landed on one that was a really good option, um, you know, fully biodegradable. And yes, it had an additional cost, but we always knew that. But that's an example where something can be fairly straightforward. But there's other areas that are very complex. So, for example, we always wanted to support um growing organic cotton in our local mm. community but that's something that takes you know a country you need government um, intervention you need political will you need um, big lobbies that all think in the same way and move in the same direction so that's something that takes i don't know 10 20 30 years um so you know we couldn't have just sat there and waited so we had to find solutions and with solutions come compromise so you know for example, in our case, the compromise was that if we wanted organic certified materials, we had to import mm. them. And by importing them, it meant that we were stopping or we were working less with the local artisans and the local um, uh, fabric traders. So, you know, there was a decision and a trade-off yeah. there. Um, you know, the other option was to continue buying locally and supporting the local industry but not having the assurance that the cotton that we were working with was actually organic and without pesticides. So, you know, these are kind of big things and you can't address them on your own. So I think you kind of, you know, need to lay everything out, make sure that it doesn't overwhelm you and start thinking about, okay, what can I, what can I address and what can I solve now or fairly quickly? Okay. You go on and do that. Or, what are those very, very big system level problems that you need to create a community around and, and rally and lobby for probably several years? And then you sort of push them along in parallel, but you don't stop and wait until that's solved because otherwise you will never you know, start your business. But you continue to lobby for the long-term outcome. And then in the short term, you keep working on the best possible compromise solution that you have available at that point in time. I don't know if that answers your questions, no, but that's sort of been the philosophy and the approach that we've had. No, absolutely. You know, as you were speaking, I'm like, you know, I I personally needed to hear this because sometimes I wake up and I'm like, I need to solve all the sustainability issues. And then I'm quickly humbled. By the fact that, you know, the supply chain and this value chain is actually quite massive. And I think, you know, the things that you can do as as an individual or as a small business, those are the things that you focus on, the things that are within your control. Um, and, you know, it's just about advocating to the best of your abilities, you know, for people, one, to be also aware of the things that they can also control as individuals in their personal homes. You know, small things like separating your waste and recycling. It does take maybe an extra couple of minutes to go to the shops and, you know, ensure that the plastic bottles are recycled in the bins as opposed to just putting them into the normal trash, you know. So I think it's just about small steps, baby steps, and eventually, you know, we will definitely get there. 
So yeah, so I also needed to to hear that. And then in terms of (laughs) the future, right, and aspirations, Mm. tell us a little bit more about what you envision and what you have lined up, you know, in the foreseeable future and what we can expect from Mayamiko, the brand. Yeah, sure. So I think there's a couple of things. One is that um, we have realized that our shoppers are interested in a lifestyle choice when they buy from Mayamiko. And so what we're doing is we're bringing together artisans from different countries that have got different crafts and traditions and types of products that are complementary and that meet our ethical and sustainability standards to work with. And and, and that way, we're able to offer our shoppers a selection of products. So not just the ones that we make, but also um, others from other other small brands and other small producers. Um, and, And the shopper has a destination where they can essentially find everything that they need so you know because at the moment they are shopping for clothes at Miamico but then they might need to go to another website to find accessories or you know bags or jewelry so we're trying to sort of um, create more of an ecosystem and a sort of lifestyle destination by partnering with um, organizations and brands that are that share our values so I think that's definitely a direction that we are putting a lot of effort in. Um, and it also allows us to shine the light on some really amazing producers from all over the world that have got wonderful crafts um, and um, and create fantastic products. So that that that's really nice um, and, and it's definitely a direction. The other direction is that we're working on a technology solution that allows us to tell our story better. So you might have seen that in the past we have experimented with the uh, QR codes on our clothing that um, you know can be scanned and tell you the story of the garment. So we're working on developing that a little bit further, so that you know it can also you know uh, trace where the product has come from and what materials it includes and all that kind of stuff. And and this is because we realise that um, our community and our shoppers are really interested in that aspect. Um, so we are we're putting effort on on that as well. And then the final piece is that we are, um, you know, we, we have partnered with um, producers in Uganda to source organic cotton from from them. So we're really excited to be able to finally bring in some uh, organic cotton from uh, from the continent, um, so that we can, you know, continue in our sort of vision to become more and more sustainable in terms of our material choices as well. So I think these are sort of some of the things that are on the horizon um, for the brand this year. I mean, that's very exciting. I love that. I love the fact that, you know, you are expanding on your partnerships and creating a more collaborative ecosystem. That's always amazing, especially from a, from a shopper's point of view, right? It becomes this one-stop shop for everything that I need. So that's so beautiful. And also the fact that you're also including, you know, technology in the elements of storytelling. Oh, that is so beautiful. So amazing. So inspiring, actually. (laughs) So where can people find you online? Um, You know, if you could just give us, you know, some details, Instagram page, website. Um, I'm sure there are people that will be listening to this And, you know, they'll definitely want to potentially shop or maybe just be in touch, you know, to see how they could collaborate, um, you know, through the ecosystem that you're also trying to grow. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you find us online at www.myamico.com. Um, and if you want to explore what the trust does, it's the same, www.myamico.org. Um, and then on Instagram, you find us at um, Myamico Designed. So do get in touch. Um, yeah, we'd love to hear from, um, you know, anyone that is interested in collaborating as well as, uh, you know, potential shoppers or community members. Uh, we're always really excited to just connect with um, with people. Uh, you know, it's a it, it's a great it's a great place, and you just don't know what might come from a casual conversation. Absolutely. And on that note, thank you so much for this amazing, amazing conversation. And I really enjoyed it, and I can't wait for people to listen to it. And you know, when you do listen to it, guys, please do comment, get in touch, and let us know what you thought about the episode. I am looking forward to your feedback. And thank you so much once again, uh, Paula, for the conversation. It was really insightful. Thank you, Natasha.